0: Higher Voltage is brought to you by eCity Interactive. For over 20 years, eCity Interactive has created websites and digital marketing strategies and solutions for colleges and universities that deliver results and exceed expectations. Their latest offerings to higher ed clients include enrollment funnel diagnostics and enrollment support services that efficiently attract and engage potential applicants with results you have to see for yourself. To learn more, visit eCityInteractive.com. Hello, and welcome to Higher Voltage, a podcast about higher education that explores what's working, what's not, and what needs to change in higher ed marketing and administration. I'm your host, Kevin Tyler. Welcome back to Higher Voltage. I'm very excited about today's guest. Hank Green joins us for today's episode about his newest endeavor, Study Hall. Hank Green is the New York Times bestselling author of An Absolutely Remarkable Thing and A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor. He is a science communicator, video creator, and entrepreneur, having founded Complexly, SubAble, VidCon, and DFTBA.com. He's the host of Crash Course and SciShow, and you can find him on YouTube and Twitter, also on TikTok. Welcome to the show! So happy to have you here, Hank. Uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you.
1: Thanks. I listened to your podcast. I had an excuse to do it, and I often <laughs> feel like there's not enough people who talk about the complexities and the evolution of higher education, which is just like the most from the like from an insider perspective, not just like like some folks who got angry about something, it seems like it, like higher ed, like travels around along with some controversy or another, or with student loan conversations or whatever, but like to actually like be in it and talk about it is so much more valuable because otherwise you're just freaking out all the time instead of (laughs) aware that there are people trying to work on the solutions and, and, uh, and that there's complexities and there's reasons why these things are hard. That's great.
0: Well, I appreciate you taking the time to listen uh, and I appreciate you saying that. I think that having these conversations openly and and, and being real about what's happening and what can be done about some of the things that are creating barriers and obstacles to people's access is really important. I think it's something we talk about uh, behind closed doors uh, quite often, but nothing Mm -hmm. that's really in the public and along with solutions uh, like the one that you have started actually. And so I'm really excited to dig into your most recent project study hall, uh, which which is a partnership between ASU, Arizona State uh, University, uh, YouTube, and Crash Course. And I just want to know, first off, like how how this works. Uh, For instance, how is it different (laughs) from ASU Online and how significant a step forward do you think this is for higher education?
1: So the basic idea here is that like people use YouTube a lot, like they use YouTube for learning, they use YouTube for play. I have been making YouTube videos since 2007 and when you are in the environment of youtube you doing education you you both have like the advantage of education where like the student kind of has to do it so like there's there's that lever that you're turning but you are, you are also with the sidebar that is full of mr beast videos and whatever else and not mr beast but whatever this, the the like the youtube algorithm has identified as the most enticing thing for that specific person and so you do maybe have to do a little bit of extra work to keep their attention. And that's what we have always tried to do at Crash Course by making really good stuff that's available for everybody right now who speaks English. But we are, you know, we're making some Spanish language stuff and we've made some stuff in various languages. And, you know, that challenge is a challenge because sometimes chemistry is boring. Like it's if it was really easy, people would just do it. Like instead of watching television, they'd learn chemistry. So it is a little bit hard, but I I think there are ways to do it. And you can sort of use those simultaneous levers of like, you do need to learn this and it will be valuable for your future and also for your near term future of passing a test. But also like we do want to try and make this interesting, uh, add some characters to the story and add some like, you know, so at least people understand like why this might be both relevant to their future, but also interesting. Like there is interestingness here uh, because the world is pretty fascinating. So that's like the base place to start from. And then, you know, this has been going on for over 10 years on Crash Course. We're very precious about it. We're very, everybody sees this like a juicy thing that they could grab and like do something with. Like people see the value and I, I do too, but we're very like cautious about it. And I'm sort of, once the thing exists, I become very cautious. Before it exists, I'm reckless and terrible and uh, make big problems for myself <laughs> and my family. But once it exists, I, I'm like, oh. I like someone else could ruin this for sure. So when YouTube, like some of our friends at YouTube, who we of course knew well, first introduced us to some people at ASU, I was like, okay, great. Another person, another like potential partner who would want to get in on what we have. But we had been thinking about the fact that like we exist or existed really on the outside of the system. So it's sort of like, here is a thing. And if you would like it, you can have it. And that's all we say. Like we will listen to teachers and we will listen to students, but it, it's just here, take it if you want it, have it, if not, no problem. And that's the business model Like and it, it, it's free. And so it, that can kind of work. It's not a great business model. Thank God for people who have supported us, either uh, granting agencies or uh, we also function on a crowdfunding model. So anybody's ever mm-hmm. bought a bought a crash course coin or supported us on Patreon, that's the reason we can do this. And I'm so grateful to go from there. To actually sort of interfacing directly with the systems of higher education and you know, high school, which we've also started to think about a little bit. It, yeah, it is a huge step for us. And also something that we wanted to do with people who like shared some of our values and knew what was going on, which we didn't. Like, I have to be honest, like I like my understanding of how colleges work and how higher ed works is mostly entirely based. On my experience from 1998 to 2002, being a student in a, you know, in a college, like that's, that's what I, hear I know. You. I hear you. Um, so, <laughs> so to, to have some of that expertise coming in and it wasn't, it was people at ASU, but it was also people who they have worked with who don't work for ASU, but like understand like pieces of this puzzle to be in the same room and um, who had worked on the ASU's partnership with Starbucks. And some some other cool stuff. And my dad is like our chief advisor for our business. It's really great to have this guy who's like insatiably curious in the moment his sons are doing anything at all. He's like, I will become an expert on that topic. Uh, you know, we had this conversation and my dad knew about it. And he, he like emailed me. He said, Hank, I think this is one you should take seriously. Specifically because of their mission, I'm sorry, this is a long story, but uh, that- That's okay. the, The sort of like, it's a genius mission because it recognizes a problem that is pretty invisible to a lot of people, which is that the entire setup of the US higher education system values, like we value a university based on how many people they can reject. Like that's a huge, important stat. Is he's he's making a he's making a face. It's, it seems like he's I like am on, making on board with I'm making the yes, it's and, such an important thing to say as often as possible. Yeah. And like ASU, was I don't know exactly what the language is, but it's like we judge ourselves not by who we reject, but by who we accept and how like how many people we can accept and provide a great education for. And like that, that was like that's a big unlock to like realize that that's how the system is set up. Like and the K-12 version of that is we've based our funding education on property taxes, where it's just like, if you exactly. say the things out loud, suddenly you're like, oh my God, it's broken. So to to say it out loud and to say, we're going to do it a different way and not just to say it, but to have done it for a couple decades and like to have a demographic of your university that's reflected of the demographic of the place where you are, to have a huge percentage of first-generation students, to have lots of options, lots of different ways of doing it, to be innovating in lots of different Ways because, like, I learned so much in this process that, like, I feel ashamed for not having known as a person who was doing this. But to not understand that, like, the cost for many students, the biggest part of the cost isn't the price, it's the lost income. And so, if you can't do college while working, or if the college experience is set up and designed for students who do not have jobs, which mine absolutely was, like, very few of my classmates worked. You know, there was like work study where you like sat, right. like like worked at the library to not even understand that, or that lots of people like have to balance caregiving along with their educations. And so if you have to be at a class at like every week at the same time, that's a huge barrier to higher ed for people. And right. And like, I'm not saying that it's the exact same experience to have like a not in-person experience. It's not. But like, we have to do it. We exist inside of the society we exist and we have to provide the tools that we can, given that it was really like, it honestly was a little bit of a decision of, is this going to be a tool that like we could sort of leverage to be a, you know, the kind of thing that really engaged parents and students would buy or really uh, well-off school systems would be able to like buy services that we provide. And that, that becomes the business model you know, which honestly is more comfortable for me because that's more the world that sure. I understand. And like, especially like selling to consumers is I have other jobs. And one of those other jobs is that like, I, you know, I sell merchandise for YouTubers. And so I like understand that world. We sort of talked about it and we were like, okay, so like, what's, if you have this tool, you could do a lot of different things with a tool, but like, you can't do everything with it. Cause you only have so much time. So, what's the thing that we most want to do? And it was like, I feel like the people at ASU kind of convinced us that the thing to do was to understand the parts of the process that are creating them kind of the most harm. And I like it's not fun to talk about it as harm. And like it became very clear that the biggest harm that is being done by higher education is people who have loans and no degree, which is a lot mm-hmm. of people. It's, a lot of like, people it's like over 40% 40 percent of people who have loans aren't going to get a degree their loans tend to be smaller because they didn't finish their education but like they mm-hmm. also don't have the value of the education and like they have some of it but not the thing that our society thinks is the most important part which is the piece of paper right. that says you did it and so we were like okay let's Use some tools that ASU has, which you mentioned, like ASU Online, well set up, well understood, effective, and like their earned admission program also, which is like, a, for people who aren't familiar, it's basically you can, if you complete certain classes and you get certain grades, you are in ASU. You don't, like, you don't have to apply. And so to use those existing tools and our existing tool of Crash Course and like our ability and expertise and in, in making videos that convey information effectively and youtube's existing tools of youtube uh and and like a big audience of people who are on the platform although that's a tricky thing because it's not like they're they're not going to like push a button and make the algorithm like us you still have to (laughs) so that to like combine all those things in a way that's very aware of each of the problems that are most standing in the way of more people having access to higher education
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this as I was doing the reading and watching videos and this isn't exactly like a challenger brand. It is a, it feels like a bridge brand. You're getting people from one place into yeah. another yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, without
0: yeah, yeah. really threatening the way education looks and exists currently. There are some questions to be raised and asked about the way education is delivered at the higher level, of course, sure. right now yeah. and how it can evolve. Yeah. But The way that A, you, I I think you put it like really well, like conveying information effectively, these videos really break down very well what it means to go to college, how you make certain decisions, what kind of jobs exist nested under underneath a major, all of the information that a lot of people just don't have at their fingertips anymore, right? As these Mm -hmm. populations start to shift. And I feel like the timing of this effort is so important as we see, like you said before, the quality of an institution being assessed by how many people it rejects at a time when more people need access to education than ever before. And I just think it's a really interesting and innovative approach that doesn't Seem threatening to the structure of higher ed as it, as it exists now.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm happy to see people threatening the structure of higher ed in different ways. That's fine. Um, I think that there has never been one way to do it. And there will continue to be more ways to do it. That's the story of all, you know, all media. I'm a media person. And right. lecture is media, and education is to some extent. Not all, but like to some extent it is it is content. Um, and you you raise an important thing. Like, I think that you know it's easy to write, like when you're writing a headline, you're trying to get people to click on your article. And so, like, the you want to write that headline in a way that makes it seem like this is a big challenge to higher ed. And to some extent it is. Like, there's a piece of the business model here that it is a threat to, which is that like first-year courses are profit generators for institutions because. You know they cost the same amount as any other class, but there's a lot more students per teacher, and yeah, lots of things. I'll just put that one out there. There's other reasons uh, yeah. why uh, that. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily want to get into, but it's a it's surprising how, of course it is, but it's it is this way. But it's surprising how how complex the sort of model is, because the the idea really is like, let's get you some credits so you don't have to take some classes. So that the whole experience is cheaper and also the ramp is more gradual. So there's not like a big wall mm-hmm. to go over. There's like a, an easier thing to climb up. You know, what we've been doing before we announced this is a lot of what you were just talking about, which is creating content for, for, you know, people who are considering higher education to think about it and understand it better, because that's something mm-hmm. that a lot of people mm-hmm. take for granted, especially a lot of people who have been through it. Cause you've been through it and you forget what you don't know. And like identifying those barriers, a big one is that you can make an expensive mistake and you you like did a whole – like you spent a bunch of time and a bunch of money getting something that's not actually going to help you get your degree or you didn't know what sort of program you were in or you went to a school that wasn't the right school or maybe was even like one right. of those for-profit things that aren't great. So like to try and provide some information for people so that they will make fewer mistakes because those mistakes can cost quite a bit of money. And also like to really like I think that everybody in the in the higher education industry should look at the number of dollars that have come from students who didn't get degrees and like see that as a crisis. And we talk about well, this—the the broader student loan crisis—but I think that that's the really specific crisis because that's a failure of the institution to some extent. It marketed itself mm-hmm. as being able to provide a value, and it was not able to provide that value. And that's not like a, you know, ITT tech problem. It certainly is worse at some places than others, but it's a problem across the entire. It, unless it's a very sort of selective institution that has like amazing graduation rates because they're only pulling students who are like the best in the in the world, those rates of getting loan dollars from students who you who you said you you can make this happen, but you and the student together couldn't make it happen. And I think that like that's something to be interfacing with in a very sort of almost somber way. Like it it is a failure. And yeah. So, like to to be looking at it and to be thinking about solutions, I think is kind of everybody's responsibility.
0: Totally totally let's talk about the offer of study hall real quick i i love the model for lots of different reasons but anyone anywhere can watch first of all the fast facts and the how to college videos which are completely yeah. accessible free for anyone to watch they are excellently Thanks. produced and organized chunks of content that are really do a great job of breaking down or demystifying the exploration of college which i really really appreciated um, but anyone can watch those you can you know pick the classes just launched on the seventh correct of March, but anyone can watch those. And, uh, once you decide uh, on a direction, you pay 25 bucks to basically enroll. Right. And at the end of that course, uh, if you're satisfied with your grade, you can pay 400 bucks to get the credits. Um, if you are not satisfied with your grade, then you can retake the course as often as you want until you're satisfied with the outcome. Is that
1: correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. We've been uploading the videos like the so there's like three sets of videos, just for clarity. There's the how to college videos, which is just like how college works. There's the uh fast guides, which are like how individual majors work and like why people get different majors. And then there's actual courses. And the courses we've been uploading, and people are like, Why are you uploading this on a different channel than Crash Course? And it's like, wait, I can't answer that question yet. Cause all of the videos are there online. But if you want to enroll in the class and have a cohort and have a like faculty support and get toward getting a credit, then you enroll it at, at the website, which I can't remember the URL of right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll, it's okay. We'll be sure to have it on the episode yeah. page. <laughs> we got you covered. It's um,
1: hall.com There it is. Thanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I'm glad you mentioned the cohorts and the faculty support because I'm I'm really curious around, um, you know, there have been other uh, online education offers in the past. This one is very different for a lot of reasons, but one of those reasons that it's different is that there is a student-to-faculty engagement. And I'm curious how faculty provide the support that's needed uh, for what could become a very large student pool.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's like... You know, apologies to our first cohort of students, but like, it's the thing that, and I mean, to our eighth cohort of students too, like, it's a thing that we will continue to be learning. We did have a sort of set number of people in the first cohort and that now we are filling up an, another one to like, it, yeah, we, we didn't want it to be like, to say like, okay, we can do this. Uh, but ASU has infrastructure for this, which is why, you know, I'd much rather work with them than try and build something like this myself right. and their ASU online systems work, I believe in this way. There is a cohort and there is faculty support and to figure out how to to do ideally two things at once which would be to allow more people into a system like this and also keep the cost going down and maybe a third thing like to increase the quality so it's like really i think that you, you do have to look at other potential solutions that might be like if you have to you know this is the story of of everybody who's actually good at something if you've taken this class you get a chance to help out other students like UTA. And, you know, that's actually, I think, extremely valuable for the TA. You know, my experience was I didn't really understand things until I started teaching people them. You know, like to sort of, you know, to hit it from like four different angles where it's like, this is how it works in my brain, but it doesn't work in their brain. So I have to talk about it in a different way for them. You get around the the concept a lot more fully. And so like there is value to be delivered there, but there might also like you know, in terms of a, a TA learning better and learning how to teach some, but there also might be value delivered in in the form of money. Like it, it may be that there's like a kind of internship model there that's paid, but I don't know. Like we have to continue figuring that stuff out when it comes to scaling. And right now I think that we have a number of students in the program. I had the number, but I've, I've forgotten it um but i was happy with it it seems like it's enough to be learning you know there's going to be some software bugs as well and there's going to be some like we're going to understand how much support the students want and need and also this the support that they're providing for each other in sort of open places which we're also using you know tools that students are already familiar with i think we're using discord for in in oh, nice. classroom, classroom cohort conversation which is you know a lot of students A lot of people already have experience with Discord and like why build your own thing when there is a tech company that's built a fantastic chat and community building service where you can effortlessly move between voice and text and you can build rooms really easily and you can go to private chat really easily and all this stuff.
0: The first four courses that were released a couple of weeks ago are, are called College Foundations. That includes English Comp, College Math, U.S. History, and Human Communication. And those are the, typically the, some of the classes that folks take in their first year. I'm curious um, if there are any other data points that you use to determine which content you would offer first, or if there is any, any data that you're using to determine which courses come out next. How's that yep. working?
1: Yeah. So one of the nice things about ASU online having been a thing for a while is they get pretty good data on every school has great data on which courses are causing problems that, you know, I don't don't know, whatever you call them at at your university at ASU, they call them killer courses. They're courses that end students' academic journeys. And algebra is a big one. And that frustrates me a great deal. I don't know if I want to talk about why, which is a little <laughs> bit that I don't know that we need to be doing this to ourselves. Um If you do, you'll we'll have to pay a copay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you look at the problems that it causes and it is worrying, but like there's ways to teach algebra. There's ways to learn algebra. And, and as long as we're doing it the way that we're doing it, then we should be doing that. Uh I feel like I'm going to get I don't know how many people listen to this. But I hopefully, it's not enough that I'm going to get attacked. But my thoughts on algebra are complicated. I guess I should say, um, but also with ASU Online and with other you know courseware solutions that do this, you see the points, the places, the the classes, the the individual concepts that are the weed out points. I heard like Netflix talking about this once with House of Cards, back when Netflix was was hot stuff, and they were like. We could see that in the first episode of House of Cards, that if people got past a certain point, I'm not going to tell you what it was because it's kind of sad. It's like bad vibes. Past a certain point in the first episode, they were going to be hooked. And if they stopped watching at that point in the first episode, then they weren't the right people for this show. Like they had learned right. something about the right. show that was like, that's not for me. I'm going to go watch Family Feud. So like, you can see those, those drop-off points and they aren't just like this course did it. It's like this point in this course did it. So obviously, yes, we were looking at that. We we're looking at that both a, a intra course and, you know, course <laughs> courses individually. And those are the courses we're, we're focusing on. And like the real world college math, Ugh. it's actually not the kind of uh, the algebra 101 class that you need to pass to for university. It's more designed as a sort of college, like a prep to get to that point and be ready for it. The other thing that is very clear is that like student success in America is based on their high school's success at teaching them effectively. And, uh, and a lot of students come out not prepared for in the same way. And like, yeah. we're not going to fix that problem fast. We should fix that problem as fast as we can. We should also like accept that that's the world that we're in. And so we should be providing the ramps up that we can for the students to meet it. And frankly, like my son is obsessed with math and it's a little bit worrying because I'm not. And uh, and and so I'm I'm taking the real world college math course so that I can be a little bit more along with him on the ride. <laughs>
0: <Listen>. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: Creating the tools you need for yourself. I get it. I hear exactly. you.
1: I appreciate
0: what you said about the ramp up and students leaving high school so often unprepared and one of the things i always try to tell the institutions i work with is there's a time for to expect a college-ready student uh, but there's also a time to be a student ready college and what that might look like is going to be different for every institution and i think the sooner that we get to a more student-centered kind of approach to some of these things but as you have in the way that you're communicating the way college works and the fast facts and the other ways that you're uh, injecting some modernization in the uh, college-going process i think that will help kind of reframe what institutions need to be for the people they need to be for, for mm-hmm. the people they they exist for. Yeah. I know that you just launched, but are there any compelling data points that you've already discovered since the launch on a couple of weeks ago?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's early enough to have teased it out or if we have to yeah. kind of tease stuff out, it's kind of too early yeah. to say talk yeah. About it. But yeah. But yeah,
0: I hear you. So Arizona State has uh, a history of innovation when it comes to how it delivers education and to whom. You mentioned the Starbucks model before, uh, what you're doing with them now. The study hall, does that? Does the model depend solely on ASU or could this scale to include other institutional partners who think about education the way ASU does?
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't think that the the model is limited to any individual institution. My greatest hope is that somebody... Uh, is that like we do this, we do it well, somebody sees it and their institution does it better and like solves the problems in different ways or or like uses like some of the ways we're doing it and, and like puts their own tools to work. And that that keeps happening because there isn't a way to do this. <laughs> you know, like we are also aware that like individual institutions are very different from each other. So I think right. that there, there isn't one way and pretty much every institution, not maybe not like a small liberal arts college or something, but like every institution is trying to figure out ways to increase student success. Like it's not these people that can give this business to make a bunch of money and and, get rich. Like everybody wants to see students succeed. Everybody in the higher ed business, there's no doubt about that. And so everybody's trying to think about different solutions to this problem. And like the more things get out there and students can kind of decide what they're Liking and and you know institutions can see what's leading to success. That's just that's good. That's the thing to be doing. And uh, I don't think at all that it's limited to ASU. I think that ASU prides itself on its innovation, and I think that like they are proud to be, you know, working on this thing this way. But I think there's there's definitely other. There's lots of online programs that are very good. Oh, totally. and, And they they don't like start with a YouTube video. But and I also think that there's like there's a lot of stuff that's hard. Or impossible online. Like you can't have a fume hood in your house, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Uh, So you're not going to be doing chemistry uh, in the same way, at least. And, you know, ASU has also figured out like, I I love this solution. People wouldn't accept their chemistry credits because they didn't have a lab component. And so they're like, here's what we'll do. All these students are roughly nearby-ish. We'll give them a two-week lab. It's two weeks straight that they're in lab. And I like, honestly, I think that might be better than the way I did lab where I was in there like two hours, once every two weeks. And also like, it provides one of the things that is really hard to get and that we're just trying to figure out and like, maybe we'll never get, which is providing some of the same, you know, connection with other people. If you're in a two week lab with the same 20 people, like you're going to come out with some friends (laughs) because you're going through it. You know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. intense and you're in there. Like, it's not like two hours either. It's like, you know, six hours a day or something. It's like three hours with a break in the middle or something like that. And, and so like you, yeah, you come out like socialized with like, you know, a bunch of people that you can, it's like going to summer camp almost. And I think that like, that's a really cool value, but it's cheaper to do it that way. Right. So I think that there's all of these like different ways of doing it. And and sometimes we can get stuck on. But we're not providing the exact same value that we are with a certain model. And it's like we're not. And like maybe there are some things that you can't do, but maybe there are some things that that are better. And also, like we got to do some creative problem solving here. like it, right. we, we kind of can't watch the cost of higher education get more expensive every year faster than inflation forever, exactly without eventually reaching a point where the whole thing breaks. Like there is a time at which more than 50% of students are spending more money than they are getting value. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know when that point is, but every year that it increases, like that cost increases faster than inflation, increases the percentage of students for whom that is true. That's just math truth. And we gotta do something. (laughs) Because otherwise the only students for whom college will be valuable are the ones that don't have to take out loans.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I think that the realities that you are not afraid of talking about in the videos, the setup videos, the how to college and the fast facts specifically around mental health and how that is a factor to consider um, yeah, yeah. about you might choose the wrong major. And you know, for the anthropology video, for instance, there's a point at which the host is saying, there are a lot of transferable skills to a lot of other majors. If you find at some yeah. point that this is not the major for you, these are real things that people might not be considering as they're, con- they're choosing a college that they, they don't know to think about these kinds of yeah. things. And the way you've laid all of that out, I feel like it's such an important moment for higher education innovation, because I, the language we use to market the things that institutions do are foreign to a lot of people, especially a lot of people coming into the classes uh, from these more diverse audiences and uh and pools so i'm really really grateful that you are attempting to do something that will make a difference in the way that this is happening because it's just so exclusive feeling right now that it doesn't feel like it's for everyone uh which is you know the way it was built
1: <laughs> However. yeah i mean it's never been it's never been for everyone but it's right. for more people now than it used to be like everything's an arrow man there's no destinations in this life um yeah
0: I'm curious. I only have a couple more questions. I want to be super respectful of your time. You mentioned earlier that there were a couple of moments that you learned something about higher ed that you weren't previously aware of by building this. I'm curious what some of those things were just out of curiosity.
1: Um, The one that floored me the most is the percentage of people with loans who have been out of school for more than six years and aren't going to get a degree. The percentage of students, I think that it's now more than 50% of students are what we call non-traditional. So most people are, the, the majority is now the majority or whatever. And <laughs> you know when we say college, what we hear is an 18 or 19 year old beginning to, and, and in 22, they will be done. That is the minority of cases now. And so that's like completely reshapes. Cause like, do I want to be creating a tool that is just for the people who do it the way that is le- less common? Or not. <laughs> right. And also, like, do those people need that? Because, like, they are so. I went to a, like a two thousand person liberal arts school in in Saint Petersburg, Florida, Eckerd College. Great, okay. wonderful. If you can do it, do it. Absolutely, get educated with the manatees. <laughs> like, but it's like not available for everybody, and it's not, now it costs three times more than it did then. So I think that those students are fairly well supported, mm-hmm. and to be looking at the students who are not as well. Supported. I don't know the statistic offhand, but the number of students who struggle with having enough food, you know, we need to be aware of that, that like these are sacrifices that people are making to get educated. And for their futures and for the futures of their family, the number of students who are primary caregivers, either to a uh sibling or a child or a parent and or a grandparent, or you know, like some non-familial relation, like is huge. It's right. huge. And so right. like you, you have to be, you have to be thinking about all of these people at the same time.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Do you have enrollment goals and how are you marketing this currently?
1: Um, I think that we do, <laughs> you'll find, that you'll find the parts <laughs> that I am uh, more engaged in by asking these questions. What there definitely are is sort of like the sort of five-year plan. There's like data points along the way. And uh, we haven't had like the first check-in about that, in part because like the initial numbers were very on target for what we were hoping for. Oh, great. Um, And in terms of marketing, you know, we are kind of imagining YouTube as this beginning of the funnel here. I didn't know how much press to expect out of the first go, but that it was big. I think that it was to some extent and like... If you're in the industry, you you might be a little bit like, yeah, you know, it was big because it sounds, it's got a, it's got a sound to it that press (laughs) likes, you know, it's like everything's changing college college credit on YouTube. What? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) The press was good for marketing. And I think that it will continue to some extent be, you know, that, that, like, I don't know what they call it earned marketing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Like what we want, the goal is for the big marketing funnel to be the free courses on YouTube. Like you're looking at those on YouTube, and if you're doing it at the same time, it's saying, like, you can like you're watching this, and then you know, like my experience with crash course has been entirely like we've never marketed a crash course video, right? Put it up there. Students talk about it to their friends, they talk about it to their parents, they talk about we were like student up, like students told their teachers and the teachers told the administrator. Like of the chain of people in a school, the person least likely to know what crash course is, is the principal. Uh, <laughs>
0: fair, That's fair. <laughs>
1: um, and I look for that when I look at higher ed products, I look for people who come in through students rather, or through teachers rather than administration, because yeah. I'm like, <laughs> administration is all about who you know and how well you can sell. And whereas teachers and students is if more about the value you're providing. So administrators, look to what your teachers are doing. I'm not saying you're bad, but look look to what your teachers are excited about. So that's the, the hope is that YouTube is the beginning of the marketing funnel and that, and that pulls in. And then it goes from there to word of mouth and, you know, guidance counselors are talking about it and even admissions people are talking about it. It is excellent,
0: excellent content. I found myself like Yay. being... Personally, curious about like, oh, what are they going to say? I was I was an English major. Yeah, what are they going to say about English major? I watched that. I watched anthropology. I watched the mental health one. I watched all these videos because it was just so entertaining. Is not the right word, but it was yeah. like it was informally educational in a very pleasing way. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Good. <laughs> yeah. How I think about it is like, how do you hold attention? Like that's the whole, yes. that's the whole ball game in the year 2023. Yep. And so we have tricks for that and no one knows what they are. That's fine. I don't want you to know because <laughs> yeah. then, then you'll notice. and We'll take you it's, out. Uh...
0: It's yeah. really well thought out content. I really am excited about it. It's it and its future. My last question that I like to ask as many people as possible is what do you think the future of higher ed looks like in the next five, 10, 20, or even more years?
1: Um, You know, I, I am a media person. I think a lot about media and I think a lot mm-hmm. about the sort of like paths of media. And um, in America, we had this very like up, you know, starting with radio and then Television, you know, newspapers also are similar. We had this strong push toward centralization to the point where in in like in the height of Bing Crosby, every week, more than half of America listened to the same radio show. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we had network where there was like three channels. And like that was extremely centralized. Movies were extremely centralized. There were a few studios that controlled it very tightly. And since then, the story has been fragmentation. It's fragmentation of everything, of of print, of radio, or audio, I should say, of video. And that's actually kind of more reflective of how it used to be, which was like there was a theater in every town and people would perform at it. There were traveling groups of entertainers and they would show up in your town and vaudeville would happen, you know? And so like what I see out of like the future of higher education is informed by that, which is that we got to get rid of the idea that there's one thing like higher education is the right phrase. It's not university. It's not college. It's like all this sort of, you know, technical school, uh, like community college, all these things, eventually they will kind of maybe become like, they won't mean much because there will be so many different ways of doing it. And I think that that's desperately needed, but I also think that it's like one thing I know is that my like small liberal arts school that costs sixty thousand dollars a year and is like and you can look out of your balcony and your dorm room and see dolphins and roseate spoonbills like that's gonna be fine like I'm not worried about them <laughs> despite the fact that they're they people still call me and ask for money I'm not worried about them um, <laughs> uh, but you know, there are lots of institutions that have, that are well endowed. Is that the right phrase? Uh, it and, is. uh mm-hmm. and they will be fine, but like, it's maybe going to highlight the existing inequality, but the inequality was always there. And so like, we kind of have to maybe, I don't know, like we have to exist in the world that exists. And so we have to figure out the different styles of education that best serve different groups of people who have different high school experiences who have different resources and like, we just, we do, and it's going to be different for different people. And we also like, some people are going to college because they really, well, some people are going because like, it's the inevitable thing. That's like everybody else in their family did. And, you know, and some people are going to college because they, you know, want to be a nurse in two years right, and, or six months. Like they, you know, they're just on the track you're on. And, and so, you know, the kind of nurse that you're heading to be, you know, we gotta understand that we have to have different institutions with different goals and like who are serving different groups. I think it's going to fracture a lot. I think it's going to be a lot of different types of things. I think that we have to keep really tight eye on the fact that there are bad actors in the space. Yes, and in for profit and traditional. Yeah, yeah. I don't. <laughs> and also that like we gotta like look at the incentives. You know, there's reason why like nobody's evil in this. I think. The reason why college keeps getting more expensive is because of an incentive structure. The institutions are competing with each other to attract certain kinds of students and like, oh totally. and that costs money. It's in, in the, like the higher ed marketing space, like I don't want to know how many dollars of the current student body is going to attract the next student body that isn't there yet. Like if I'm a student in a school right now, a lot of my money is going toward recruiting other students who aren't in the school yet. and I'm like, do we need to be having this arms race? But like, I don't know how to solve that problem. We kind of do, <laughs> um, so we can't just be like angry. We also have to be aware of of the fact that you know people are reacting to incentives. But yeah, my biggest prediction is there will continue to be more and more models and more and more different ways of doing it. I think we should be excited by that, not threatened by it.
0: Man, I think so too, and I and I think that as these new models kind of pop up. As existing institutions can find ways to partner, interact, engage with these new models to provide a more comprehensive, more full, more diverse approach to delivering education, why is that bad? Right. Like that's that's a good thing to have a lot of different kinds of models that work for uh, the different people who will be searching for a higher education.
1: Yeah, I'm a huge advocate for liberal arts education. And so like I can feel like, no, it's bad. Like we need people to take both that anatomy course that they need for the degree and a religious studies course so that they can understand that like the world is big and complex and like we got to head out into this world more informed. I'd also love for every person to be able to study abroad in Paris, you know, and like there's certain things that are and aren't possible. And like, I'm not saying that those are the two things. And like, I really do want there to be ways to provide well-rounded education and not just imagine higher ed as job training. I think that's important. But if you keep making it more expensive every year, people are going to start to look at it in a very sort of brutal way. And they're going to say that religious studies course is not going to help me get a job doing computer programming. Like that's just the situation. And, and like liberal arts is suffering from this right now. Maybe that's the first sort of, that's like the giant canary in this coal mine is that um, there was a great, I don't know if it was in New York magazine or the New Yorker, I can't remember, but there was a very long and good article about sort of the demise of the English degree. And, um, Is that the kind of first canary in the coal mine, increasing the cost forever until it's like, what's the value to me, man? Right. What are you like? Like, if it's going to cost that much, what are you going to give me for it? Like, students are starting to have, like, much more kind of hard calculus of how to make the decisions of how they're going to be educated, and we cannot blame them for that.
0: Exactly. And higher ed is not evolving with the ways that the audiences that they're serving are hoping to serve. That's are.
1: also, yeah, that's, that is true. I, <laughs> if, if, if you, I would love for there to be a lot of like, uh, instead of like an English course, just doing on YouTube videos, man, there's a lot there to learn totally. from. Just a whole course on Mr. Beast. Hank Green, <laughs>
0: thank you so much for your time today. I, uh, hope that, uh, everyone listening to this episode checks out gostudyhall.com. Play around in the videos, look at some of the content and see how this content is reintroducing or repositioning higher ed, how there's a whole new language that we can all use and share uh, to talk about higher ed and what it offers. Thank you so much for joining me today, Hank. It was really a pleasure. I'm excited about this effort. Congratulations on developing it and launching it and
1: whatever happens next. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I love this. I'm glad. <laughs> <I'm glad. laughs> I guess we have to stop. I do have other things I need to do.
0: That's it for this week's episode of Higher Voltage. We'll be back soon with a new episode. And until then, you can find us on Twitter at Volt Higher Ed, And you can find me, Kevin Tyler, on Twitter at kevin C. tyler 2